Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Good morning, Portico. How are we doing? Excellent. Supercharged. Nice day yesterday. Warm weather. Feeling good? Don't get used to it. It's Ontario. Anyhow, so good to have you here. We're in a series, if you're brand new today, we're in a series that's called Immovable, and we're over in Colossians chapter 1, so you can turn there if you're eager to get ahead of the pack, get to Colossians chapter 1, you can do that on the app or in your Bibles, and do get your notes out. I've got a lot I want to share with you today. It's going to be a great morning, and we'll try to fit it all into the time constraints that we have together. Is that good? So last week, we started this whole series off, and we called it Immovable, and I said that trusting Christ changes what? Uh, interactive church changes everything. So if you weren't here last week, you're, you're forgiven for the pause, but everybody else, trusting Christ changes everything. In other words, Paul writes to these believers in Colossae, and he goes, listen, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, it changed the core of who you are. Now, you may recall, and if you, didn't go to the, if you didn't hear the message, make sure you go online, go to the app, and listen to this, and follow along. But Paul had identified that in culture... There was philosophical pressure, there was strategic reasoning or intellectual pressure, and there were spiritual forces of this world pressure that was causing Christianity to begin to crack a little bit. And he goes, the syncretism is going to destroy you if you don't understand who you are in Christ. Very similar to what we face today. So we talked about the fact that our immovable faith would make us resilient, courageous, and powerful in Jesus Christ, and I looked at our core convictions. Now, you guys are amazing. I know you memorized everything I shared with you last week. You got it down, right? So if I asked you what were the three main things I talked to you about when it came to conviction without looking at your notes, I see you looking right now. Don't look at your notes. What were the three main things that Paul said changes in our life because we trusted Christ? We're done. No, 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 no. He said, okay, here it is. Yeah, look at your notes. He said, it changes your faith. He goes, because we have this misunderstanding or we have a gap when it comes to our faith. And he said, your faith is when you believe, you trust, and you will... Awesome. Very good. He says, so when you do that, you've gone from knowing about faith to actually implementing faith. And I hope this week you did. This past week you really did. Then I talked about love. And I said that love is a decision and an action, not just an emotion. Because if it was an emotion, remember I told you I'd be out at the curb, I'd be on Kijiji Marketplace... So would some of you. And the fact we're all here means that we understood that, that it's a decision and an action. It's really good. And then hope. That hope is this confidence that's based upon God's character and his promises. Yeah, very good. So God's character and his promises. So Paul said, when you trusted Christ, this is mind-blowing. It really is. When you trusted Christ, your inner convictions changed. Faith, hope, love changed. And he goes, now you've become immovable when you really begin to embrace us. But Paul didn't stop. And we're going to anchor out of chapter 1 for uh, this series. Because Paul then moves into something that's really, really practical. And he actually addresses a topic. In fact, everyone, those listening online, everybody in the room right now, 
all of us, and if you're listening to this later, you've heard this before, we've all asked this question. Now, maybe differently, we use different words, phrase it slightly different, but we've all asked this basic question, and we wanted the answer. What is God's will for my life? So I had been working at PAOC in the International Missions Department for a couple of years and I remember one day I went in for a review with my my manager and uh, she gave me some feedback and everything seemed to be tracking well and I remember being excited and, and I went back home and my wife and I were traveling up north to her family's cottage and I was telling her about this, the events of the day and I remember breaking down in the car as we were driving and uh, and even though I had this incredible news to share I I felt completely unsettled and I said for the first time I feel like I'm not supposed to be there forever. I went all the way back started doing personality testing like you do in civics and careers and started to identify careers that would fit with my personality type to see if anything would resonate. And there was one that kept coming up over and over again, and that was medicine. And it was very interesting for me. Um, There's no sort of connection or history in my family that way. I didn't even have the high school courses necessary to uh, do undergrad, let alone uh, med school. So I hit this point of no return, and the decision had to be made. Am I I going to go to school, quit my job, and, and go to school full time? Knowing that that's going to put a huge financial burden on my family, my wife and I talked about buying a home, having kids, and it would delay all of that. Or did I entertain this this piece and I'm just going to continue working? And what was interesting is at that moment, there was a shift. And it was my wife that actually pushed me over the edge and she said, this is what you're supposed to do. As far as confirming that it was the right path, For me, it's always been other people that I trust and that I know God's placed into my life that keep me on that path. And uh, so whether it be my wife, my parents, or even some of my close friends, the words that they end up saying, I know they weren't, they couldn't have known exactly what to say in those moments. And for me, those were moments of confirmation. Like, yes, this this is where I'm supposed to be going. So looking back over this change, uh, I would say there's absolutely no regrets. There's definitely been moments of frustration. I, I constantly think, you know what, God, if you had told me this is what you wanted me to do in high school, I could have saved so much time and money and everything else. But I look back at it now and I know I had to go through each of those experiences in my life to make me who I am today. It was necessary for me to go to Bible college, to spend four years there, to work in another career and be exposed to the need and and people, to be exposed to people so that I could have a compassion that would launch me into this next step of my life. So, yeah, go ahead. If you're, uh, if you're wondering who that was, that's my son, Kyle. You could always tell, look at Laura. She's weeping and sobbing. Oh, that's my boy. But it was interesting. Pastor Josh said, hey, let me interview your son when it comes to God's will because he went through what all of us go through. God, what's your will for my life? Which college should I go to? Which university should I go to? What career should I pursue? What job should I take? Who should I marry? 
Are you in God's will? No, don't, don't answer. We ask those questions because they're highly individualized and they're very important. And I believe God cares about those details. I really do. But when I look at Colossians, I want us to see something. That how we determine the individualized pursuit of God's will in our lives is built on a foundation of a greater understanding of God's collective will for his community of people, those who are following him in Christ. So Paul would write to the Colossian believers, and without getting into their individualized pathways, he would say, let me help you understand God's will. Now, why do I want to share this with you today? Because here's what I understand. We, we wrestle so much to know God's will for my life in my specific context. And why we struggle is we don't have the firm foundation of what God's will for my life is as a follower of Jesus. Does that make sense? And you're all confused. I'll clear it up later. All right. So get your Bibles out. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to show you how this works as we go through it. Colossians 1 at verse 9, it says this. Just follow as I read for you. Paul writes to these believers, and he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, and we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his, what's the word? Will. That's it. Through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Now, let's stop right there. A couple of verses of Scripture. Paul lays a whole bunch of stuff on the table Because he told these people, you've got your convictions down. Trusting Christ changed your convictions. Here's the next one. Trusting Christ changes what I believe about my life plan. Just another way of saying God's will. So when you trusted Christ, Paul then steps into the background here and he goes, when you trusted Jesus... It changes how you understand your whole life plan. And God will get into the greater story with you. But the beginning, the the elementary, the foundational part of God's will, you need to know this in order to facilitate those questions that you're going to raise and how you're going to pray later on. So I'm going to explain, and you're going to take a few notes. Is that fair? No, that wasn't fair. I'll explain, and you take a few notes, all right? And get into your growth groups. Hey, get into your growth groups this week and wrestle this down because it's really good material. Number one, how do I align my life with God's will? Do good deeds that bear fruit. Do good deeds that bear fruit. And you go, whoa, dog, that's way, 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 way too simple. Uh, Isn't God's will mysterious, mystical, ethereal, hard to grasp, can't get my hands around it, can't seem to pray about it, can't seem to understand it? And yet, if you look at what Paul says, when you start looking in chapter 1 and you get into these verses, 11 through 14, one of the things that he talks about is that if we are aligned to God's will, then we will be doing good deeds that bear fruit. In other words, you want to make it real, real simple, make God look good the way you live your life. Now, can I be really open and candid with you? All right, I'm, I'm not a big fan of marketing Christianity. Now, let me explain. Uh, I'm not into the T-shirts, the chains, the bumper stickers, and all that kind of stuff. Now, if you are, that's entirely okay. Don't look down right now and look away from me. If you're into that, you don't have to cover up your T-shirts. Some people are going, uh-oh, where's he going to go with this? But I realized something, that there is a lot of marketing when it comes to our faith, and that my challenge with the marketing is this. We often don't live to what we're advertising. So the concern for me is if I go to a grocery store or a restaurant, and if they advertise something, they don't live up to it, I don't go back. Fair? 
So if I wear the t-shirt, I wear the jewelry, I buy in and get the bumper stickers. And by the way, we have people in the parking lot taking pictures of your car right now. So we know whose bumper stickers are in here. No, we're not. But we market something that we're not living. And so it creates sort of this juxtaposition and confusion for people because they go, huh. Now, there are a few of you, you're giving me that strange look, Doug, I, we're not tracking with you. So I jotted a few of them down because I thought, well, these will help you. You've probably seen these bumper stickers. Have you seen the one that says, God is my pilot? See, don't put that on your car because you drive like you actually are flying a plane, not driving a car. You're all over the road, you're crossing lanes, you don't signal, you're impatient. And, you know, people are driving behind and go, yeah, God's their pilot. They should be in the air because they're certainly not driving the way they should on earth. There's another one that says, have no fear, God is... <laughs> God is near. Good. Have no fear, God is near. I like that bumper sticker, actually, because when our son was learning how to drive, when Kyle was... He had his learner's permit and he was in driver's school... He would often, you know, parents, you remember this? Your kids would come to you and, hey, can I drive to church? Can I drive to the restaurant? Dad, can I drive? And we'd everybody get in the car and we'd drive together. So one day he had said that. He said, Dad, do you mind if I drive? And I said, all right, there's the keys. I'll sit up front. And Laura, you you sit in the back and we'll treat you like the queen that you are. See, I'm making up for last week right now. So you sit in the back and we'll chauffeur you around as we drive around. And so I, I can't even remember where we were headed, but Kyle was, you know, very studious, set his mirrors, did everything right, backed out. How many of you know that when you're in the back seat, the proximity and awareness is diminished compared to being in the front seat? And how many of you know that I'm going to need your prayers when this service is over? (laughs) This is God's will for you today. So we're driving, and Kyle is really doing a remarkable job. I mean, it's, you could see his awareness and his attentiveness, and of course, he's young and inexperienced, and he's walking it through. And then we hear from the back seat, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, dear Jesus. (laughs) It's like a... It's like a whisper coming over the seat. And I love it because Kyle's got his hands on the wheels and he goes, Mom, we can hear you. <laughs> that's so cool. And anybody who's gone through driver ed, you know exactly what that's like. You know, uh, Do not fear God is near. And yeah, for some of you, the way you drive, that's what people are in your car. They're praying that actually because they think they're going to go see Jesus the way you drive. I'm not speaking to my wife. Quit looking at her, you guys. Oh my gosh. Now, there are a couple of bumper stickers that I have seen that I think we should actually implement, and I I might even produce them for Portico. I think they're fantastic. This one I really, really like. You'll like my church better than my driving. (laughs) That's great. I think we should all get that bumper sticker because that one carries a little bit of water with it. And the last one that really spoke to me was this one. Live so that the preacher won't have to lie at your funeral. (laughs) Now... Like, seriously, think about that very, very carefully. Am I the only person that's been at a funeral and you heard the eulogy and you go, I'm at the wrong funeral? Like, you want to sneak down front and open up the casket and go, that's not the person. You got the wrong notes. Who is this person? Really? Come on, I'm not the only person, right? And then you make us pastors get up and officiate and tell you all the good things about this person. And meanwhile, we're going, man, I don't know if they made it. Like, Jesus, I hope your mercy is good. No, good thing Jesus has got that covered, right? Because if it was up to us, we just didn't get there. That's why I'm not a big fan of marketed Christianity, because often what we do is we advertise something that we're not willing to live out. And yet Paul said, hey, do good deeds that bear fruit. So that if we're active in our life, now catch this, he didn't say just be busy, because we have a frenzied culture of busyness. 
Just try to book an appointment with your friends. And they go, oh, you know, two to three weeks. You send me a text, I'll send you a text. We'll try to get our calendars together. And when I ask people, how's it going to work? Oh, crazy busy, just stupid busy. And I go, man, we're in this frenzied pace of busyness. But are we productive? Are we productive? See, Jesus wasn't a big fan of busyness without productivity. And Paul picked it up, and he realized that the central theme of Christianity is, hey, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, be busy about good deeds, but be productive. Because that's how we were created so that we could be this way. There's a little episode that took place in Mark chapter 11, and you don't have to turn over, I'll tell you the story, but write it down for later. Mark chapter 11, Jesus and his disciples had come out of the Galilee in the north down to Jerusalem. And so they're back down in Jerusalem, and they're there for the Passover, and they'd been staying up in the region of Bethany, probably staying with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. So the one day they're making their way down into the temple, and as they're making their way down, Mark records in chapter 11, he said, and Jesus saw a fig tree in the distance, and it was in full foliage. Remember this, some of you? Okay. Saw a fig tree in the distance, it was full foliage. And Mark says, and Jesus was hungry. I like that verse. So often we've removed God and his humanity from the equation. I like the fact that my God gets hungry too. It, it just makes God accessible for me. So it said Jesus was hungry and he goes to the tree. And those of you that have been following you know, for a little while and you're a little more familiar with your Bibles, and if you're new, that's great. You're going to learn all these really, really cool stories. It says that Jesus went over to look at the tree. And when he got there, what did he find? Yeah, yeah, there's no fruit. So he steps back, and he makes a pronouncement. May no one ever eat of your fruit again. Now imagine if you're one of the disciples and you're following Jesus and go, whoa, you don't want to tick him off. <laughs> like that's how he treats a tree. Imagine what he'll do to people. So they make their way down to the temple. They do their activities at the temple. Next day, they're back up in Bethany, and the Bible says that Jesus is making his way back down. And Jesus doesn't pay attention. It's Peter, actually, that saw the tree and Peter's like, oh, James John, check the tree out. Check the tree out. It's dead. Like it's withered from the roots, dead. And like being the impetuous Peter that he is, he goes to Jesus and he goes, Lord, look at the tree, the one that you spoke to. And the Bible says they all remembered what Jesus said about the tree. Do you remember how Jesus responded to that? He turns to Peter and he goes, have faith in God. If you say to this mountain, move, it will be cast into the sea. Just don't doubt. Right? Remember this? So there's Peter who's probably like, okay, I'll have faith in God. But he's thinking in his mind, or I would be, what does a mountain have to do with a dead fig tree? You ever ask that question? And did you notice Jesus avoided the question? He jumped right over the tree and went right into have faith in God. Don't doubt, and whatever you say, it'll be moved into the sea. Well, that bothers me. It bothers me when Jesus doesn't answer the question. Doesn't it bother you? Oh, got really quiet. I think we're on safe ground. God allows us to ask questions. I wanted to know what was going on. Why would Jesus skip over the story and jump into the story of the mountain and move the mountain and not speak to the tree? Because all the disciples are going, we heard you yesterday. You cursed the tree. You said no one's ever going to eat from you again, and now the tree is dead. That's a miracle. Kind of a weird one, but that's a miracle. And now you're not even addressing the issue, and you go, so what's taking place here? Now remember, Jesus grew up in Israel, first century, agrarian culture. This man knew seeds, he knew harvest, he knew watering, he knew planting. He understood the entirety of the horticultural system. Why wouldn't he speak to that? 
It's because when Jesus walked to the tree, we don't always understand the background here, but when Jesus walked up to the tree in Israel, when the fig tree's going to bloom, laying to the full leaves, there is an initial appearance of a little bud in the same place where the fig fruit is going to grow. Those little buds are sort of the precursor to the fruit, and they will eventually fall off to the ground. And if you were extremely poor, you would often go and pick up those little buds and gather them together. You know, not the choices of the fruit, but it was food nonetheless. So Jesus walks over to the fig tree looking for the buds on the tree. And when he saw there was no buds on the tree, he made a pronouncement. Why did he make the pronouncement? Because here's what he understood. That fig tree was not going to yield a harvest this season. It was done. And he was using an image that God would use with Israel over and over and over. And he would say, the axe is already at the root of the tree. Why? Because you're not being productive. So when he made his pronouncement, he understood entirely. And we sometimes lose that here. And you have this wonderful understanding that Jesus said, don't just be about your good deeds, but be, your good deeds must bear good fruit. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will be fruitful. You'll produce great fruit. So what's this whole thing? How do I align my life with God's will? Well, Jesus lays it right out there, and Paul captures it and brings it right back into its context. Do good deeds that bear fruit, for we are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus, created to do good works, which God had prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that what he told the Ephesian believers? So we begin to realize God doesn't want you to be busy for the sake of saying to everybody, man, I'm really busy. God wants us to be productive. He wants our lives to matter, our work to matter, our efforts and our gifts to matter so that we can be kingdom-minded, kingdom-oriented, and productive in our lives. And the beautiful part, he gives us his spirit so that we can do that. And Paul said, when you trust Christ, it changes everything, particularly your life plan. And now you know the first elementary foundation to this is that we do good deeds that bear fruit. The second thing in your notes, if you're writing down notes today, Paul goes on to say, and here's what I want you to do. If you want to know God's will and aligning to God's will, he says, you need to get to know God better. Well, that's interesting. Because there is an abundance of resource. You can go to your library, you can go on. There's just masses of information available. But Paul wasn't talking about information. We, we touched on this a little bit last week. So he says, I want you to get to know God better because even Jesus, remember he rebuked the Pharisees and the leaders and the Sadducees because he goes, you guys spend all your time studying the word, but you don't even know who God is. You, you've missed this. So you've poured yourself into information, but you've missed the entirety of a relationship. And getting to know God better is all about relationship. So uh, Laura and I have been married for 35. We're going on 36 years this year. And I know, I know it's hard to believe. It was an arranged marriage. We were married when we were two. I know you guys would just help you put the context together. We're much younger than what you believe. But, you know, the beautiful part of it is we attended the same church. We went to the same young adults group. We socialized in the same circle of friends. So when it came time, we knew each other. We, you know, proposal and let's get married. We said, yeah. And, of course, if you've been married or you're in a long-term relationship, do you remember those early days? You thought you knew everything everything about that person, didn't you? You thought, oh, I know their likes and their habits and all that kind of stuff. And so you go, yeah, let's get married. Let's, you know, let's get into this relationship. We're good to go. Well, over the years, Laura would start using a phrase. She goes, you know, when I first met you, 
You know that's not going to end well, right? When I first met you, I thought I knew you. That was just a nice way of saying, I have no clue who you are. So if I'm on Marketplace Kijiji available, you'll know why. And we both have commented over the years how that's very true. That as you spend time, it's not about the information you capture, it's as you spend time with a person, you begin to get to know and understand the person a whole lot better. So there was this time we were, um, we'd go out for lunch together, go out for breakfast together, and I remember one time we were in this restaurant, and we, you know, we were in love. Anybody been there? Wow. You know, all you married people, I get, like I hand these things out to you, like you could just walk away and have a day where I go, I said yes, honey. I did. When he said, are you in love? I said yes. Anyhow, we were in love, so we went to a restaurant, and we would talk. I mean, we would talk about our dreams and our goals. We'd talk about life. We'd talk about work. We'd talk about, you know, what, are we going to have a family? What's our future going to look like? We'd just talk, 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 talk. And then we'd look over, and there was one day, and I remember this specifically, we were at this restaurant, and there was an older couple sitting down having a meal. And they barely spoke a word to each other. But they seemed to enjoy their meal. And the two of us had looked over. I remember we looked at them and we said, "Um, boy, that's sad. (laughs) They have nothing to say to each other. We're never going to be like that. You know, that older couple, they're about our age now. But we had mistakenly thought that the absence of words was the absence of a relationship. They had already discovered the secret of knowing each other so that even in the quietness of time together, there was richness of knowledge. And as we've matured, we've given ourselves to that same pathway. You know how they say a picture is worth a thousand words, right? Yeah, one look from Laura is like a novel. I... I didn't say it was a murder mystery. I said, one look from Laura. It's like a novel. There's a lot I can glean from her. And the more you spend time with people, what you begin to realize, and those of you that are long-termers, and I'm not talking three to five years if you're married, long-termers, you know you can walk into the room and you can see the look, and you know what it's going to be like when you walked in the room, right? It's either going to, well, thanks for the nod, I'm with you. It's going to be a good day, it's going to be a bad day. It's like, oh, honey, I'm home. Honey, oh, I forgot something, I'll be right back. And I'm going to wait for that look to change just a little bit. But I love this. I love the fact that it could be just the physical posture, it could be the tone in the voice, it could be the look. In fact, when we go out, we'll go to events, and all I need to do is look across the room, and she understands immediately, just take me home, I'm done. And so we'll work it out, and we just have this ability to communicate. That's what Paul was really driving at when he talked about getting to know God better. See, discovering God's will isn't really all that elusive. He said, if you're really committed to doing good deeds that bear fruit, and then you're committed to knowing who God is, you will actually understand God. And it's not about pulling the information. So we do something here, we call it the Life Journal. And it's a devotional reading plan. It's very intentional. S-O-A-P, SOAP, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. And people go, well, why do you do that? Like, why would you use an acronym? Why do you write it out? I was looking, actually, yesterday, I went back into some of my Life Journals. And for me, there's many different ways to tag it, but Scripture... You know, the S, it tells me who is God in that story. And the O, observation, is what is God up to in that story? And the A, the application, what's my part 
in God's story. And the P for the prayer, this is very, very important. The P for the prayer, not my will, but your will be done. So if we use that little tool in the right way, it actually walks us. That's why we want you to use it, because you can know who God is, and you can see who God is, what God is up to in the story. And you can say, God, what's my part in that story? And then not my will, God, but your will be done. All good? All right. Uh, let me watch my time. I don't want to keep you past three. So the third thing is this. So if we know that we're supposed to do good deeds that bear fruit, and we know that we're supposed to get to know God better, the third one is to build endurance. Paul says, I I want you to have endurance built into your life. So if you look in your notes, there's a couple of scriptures that I've given you that we can go to that talks about this. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, and here I'll read it for you now. He said, "Being, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Okay, don't miss that. He said, I want you to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. Now, pause, 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 pause. Whenever I read words like get strengthened with power, I love that. I'm a power guy. Anybody with me? Oh, more power. You can never have enough tools with enough power. That's my world. Never have a car with enough power. I love power. So Paul prays and he goes, hey, I'm praying for you so that you'll be strengthened with all power and with God's glorious might. So we read that phrase and we go, God, I want to be that person. So I'm not sure how you think when you read that, but I go, God, just give me power in my life so I can do incredible exploits. I'll be the next Jesus superhero for you. I guess nobody else wants to do that. It'd be like God's Royal Rangers. That's what we could do together. And then you tag that in and you go, okay, he wants to strengthen me with power and God's glorious might. That's like adding a turbocharger to the prayer. So I'm going around in my mind and I'm thinking, oh, this is what we need. We just need a little more power. Now, don't misunderstand. It's important to have God's power in our lives. But often what we're doing, it's for our individualized story, not necessarily for God's will. And Paul says, no, 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 no. I want God to fill you with his power and to strengthen you with his might so that you will have great, what's the word? Endurance. Whoa. I don't like that. See, when I pray, some, some people believe this. Now, careful here. Endurance is the ability to bear up under incredible pressure. When you get a report from your doctor that you have cancer, you can endure because God's will is that you'd be strengthened with his power and his glorious might. When you lose your job, Paul says, make sure you align yourself to God's will. I've prayed for you that you will build your endurance up so that as you go through that, you will see the hand of God in the middle of that. Or I've prayed that you'll have great endurance so that when you're raising your family and the challenges of sometimes in the younger children or the teenage children, you're going, oh God, why do I have these kids? He goes, I pray that you'd have great endurance so that you can continue in that journey. See, some believe that it's God's, you know, that God's will. They believe that it's God's will that we pray that God will move us out of the way of our challenges. But really, God's will is that we would pray that God will be with us through our circumstances. That when God's will is really operating in our lives, it's up to him to choose to rescue or not to rescue, not us. But so often when we pray, what do we go? God, get me out of this. Rescue me from this. Take me away. But if you read the Gospels over and over and over, look at the disciples and you realize that Jesus never rescued them from. He went with them through 
their circumstance. And just looking around this room, boy, I can see some of the stories. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know the crisis moment in your life where endurance was the key for you to prevail through that. And so Paul says, that's what I pray for. So before you go to the individualized will of God for your life, he goes, get your foundation right. Understand that I'm praying for you so that you'll have this wonderful gift of endurance, the ability to weather through adversity. And then he adds a little conditional clause with great patience. Now, how many of you are patient people? We are in church today. We're not by nature really patient people, are we? No, we're not. In fact, you're the better group, but watch the parking lot when the next group comes in. Yeah, we get in our cars and something happens. We lose our minds and our patience disappears. We get to the light and we actually watch the little countdown to the hand when it's all going to change over because we're like ready to go like, because we need to get through the light before everybody else. And so our patience is, you know, the other way our patience is so limited. I got thinking about this the other day. I should stop thinking is what I should do. But our patience, we are so impatient. We now call people to deliver food to our house. Why do we do that? Because we don't want to cook. It would take too much time. Now, it's not wrong. I mean, we all do this. So it's good. But you know the ones that are really impatient? They're the ones that call 20 minutes or less or it's free. And as, they, as soon as they put that order in, man, that, that timer's on. They're going ding, 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 ding. Because they, they want them to be late to get it free. It's just reflective of this culture that we're in the middle of that we are so impatient. And Paul says, no, here, this is God's will. God's will is that you would understand how to endure, and you would endure with great patience because it's when we find God in the middle of our circumstances and we recognize that God is with us. Friends, we can prevail through all kinds of challenges. The last one, let's quickly fill this one in. There's a fourth element, and this, this became really pivotal for the believers in Colossae. And it's to be thankful. It's to be thankful. And Paul just talks about this ability to to express your thankfulness to God. Now, when I looked at the text, and I realized you got these four elements coming together around God's will for our lives that establishes this broader community value for his followers, I wondered, why does God want us to be thankful? Think about that. God is all-powerful, omnipresent, all-knowing. He can do whatever He wants. God is the Creator. He makes us, He creates us, we're His creation. It seems a little disjointed that the Creator would say to His creation, okay, now give me thanks. See, in our human wisdom, that's a little bit of a challenge for us. It's an obstacle to our understanding. Why would the all-powerful Creator go, hey, in the middle of your journey... Part of my will for you is that you be thankful people. And if you dig a little bit deeper through the scriptures and let me pull the threads together, it's like this. Because God understands something, giving thanks is not for his benefit. It's for ours. Giving thanks makes us better people. Giving thanks aligns us to God's will. If you've raised children, you will give the shirt off your back. Well, until they're teenagers. You'll give whatever you need to do for your kids, right? But secretly, secretly, don't you just plead once, just once say thank you. Just once, 
without me saying, okay, say thank you, they would, we would all have heart attacks if our kids came into the room and go, mom and dad, I just want to say thanks. For what? What did you do? What did you break? What's, now what have you done? Right? It would freak us right out. Our culture, our culture is deeply steeped in an entitlement mentality. We are so, and that's what Paul said, be careful. Be careful of the philosophy, the human reasoning, and the spiritual powers of darkness that are prevailing against your Christian faith. And we live in this entitlement mentality where we expect everything to come without having to work for it. And God teaches us something that when we come to Christ, Christ, trusting Christ changes everything. And he goes, and I want you to be thankful, people. And Paul actually told us why. He said, because he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and delivered us into the kingdom of his son or in the kingdom of righteousness. Paul goes, that's why you need to be thankful. It's not about whether or not you're going to have success and fame and houses and clothes and cars. It's none of that. That's not what it's about. He goes, I want you to be thankful, people, because God understood your broken condition and when you could do nothing about it, nothing about it. He goes, he sent his son who paid the ultimate price for our sins so that we could be forgiven for every wrong choice. We could be in relationship with the heavenly father. We could have the riches of eternity at our hands because of Jesus, not because of us. And he goes, so all I want you to do is be people who are thankful because you know what's going to happen when you're living this life and you lose your job and you go, that's okay, God. Thank you. And when you get a a cancer scare or a doctor's scare, and you go, that's okay, God. Thank you. Or when you're going through a season with a relational meltdown, and you go, that's okay, God. I'm thankful. That's why Paul said, give thanks in all, yeah, all things. One of the versions says, all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Friends, God's will isn't so elusive. If we get these right... Do good deeds that bear fruit. Get to know God better. Build endurance and be thankful. Let me tell you, the individualized pursuit of God's will for my life becomes a whole lot more clear because I'm living in the sweet spot where God wants me to be. Amen? Let's pray. Father, right now we ask you to help us really embrace the truth of this word. Jesus actually reminded us that the enemy will come. And now that the seed is out there, He's going to try to snatch it away or the worries of life are going to kick right back in. Hard times are going to come. But he said, if this seed could land on good soil, wow, it'll produce a crop a hundred times greater than we could ever imagine. So I pray that those that have been listening today and journeying with us, whether online or in the room or even later, just reflecting on this message, may we be people that align ourselves with your will, content to know that God Our life is secure already. Everything else is just a bonus. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.